Thank you for tuning in to TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. You're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner, and we're very pleased to have with us right now Noah Alper. He has created the iconic Noah's Bagels brand. In less than seven years, he sold Noah's Bagels to Einstein Bagels for $100 million. He grew up from one stop in uh, Berkeley, California, to 38 West Coast locations. He's a successful business. He had other companies as well. He's written a fascinating book called Business Mensch. So, Noah, thank you for joining us. Uh, It's my pleasure, Sam. It's nice to uh, speak with you. So how did you make a lot of dough from bagels? What's your secret? (laughs) What ingredients Uh, did you use? (laughs) Uh, Being there uh, with the right product at the right time. You know, I had occasion to talk to... Murray Lender of Lender's Bagels when I was first starting. And I said, Murray, how do I make a successful bagel? How do I make a great bagel? He says, you know what makes great bagels? I said, no, what is it, Murray? He said, competition. That's what makes a great bagel. So we looked hard uh, at all the uh, bagel landscape in our area, and we uh, set out to make the absolute best product we could. And uh, thank God we were successful. But is it just making the best product? But there has to be something more because uh, you started from oh, scratch. there's a lot more. All there's right. So, you, so what's the secret? Yeah. You made from scratch from zero to a hundred million. So it's more than just having a good bagel. It had to be marketing. Okay. Right, right, right. Well, I think that the, the you know there were a the whole bunch of ingredients. Obviously, pardon the pun. Um, had a great team. Uh, that worked with us. It was way beyond me. It was my brother. It was a whole cast of characters, all very professional, expert in their fields. Uh, It was also treating our customers right. It was treating our community right. uh, And it was treating our employees right. As I I say in my book, uh, you know, that's the key. Get get everybody uh, uh, on board and, and taking care of everybody. And doing good will will uh, is good for business, and 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 that was a lot to it. Getting the right locations was very very important. Obviously, location, location, and location. Um, but um, myriads of things. But attentiveness to detail. Getting back to the bagel itself um, really was the key. Everything had to be perfect. Everything had to be just right because uh, it's a it's a competitive world out there and. I was I was out to uh, show the West Coast the, the absolute best 
a product and service I could, and and that's with the team help we got there. Now, is the New York bagel was that when you started? Was that as prevalent or as popular on the West Coast as it was on the East Coast? No, and that was another. You know, as I said, there was myriad of factors that that helped us, but the competition out here was. Uh, limited, I would say, and there wasn't really fabulous bagels. And yet, the uh, Northern California was known uh, for, you know, being the food mecca of the world. Um, and they had great Indian, Thai, Chinese, you name it, but not a great bagel. So there was an opening there in terms of in terms of uh, uh, the marketplace. Now, when you first began. You didn't first open up bagels. You had other businesses. You had a kosher restaurant, I think an Italian kosher restaurant, some others. Oh, that was afterwards. Oh, that yeah. was afterwards. Okay. How did right, those right, fare right. out compared to the bagels? I'm sorry? How did those business ventures turn out compared to the bagel well, business? Well, I, I like to use a baseball analogy, uh, Zeb. I had I've started six ventures, four of them being successful. So 666 batting average. Uh, but not all of them made it. Um, so... The first one, uh, fundamentally, was uh, Bread and Circus in Massachusetts, which was later acquired by Whole Foods and then now, of course, Amazon. So that was way beyond my time. But that was a, uh, a business that, you know, was a little bit ahead of its time. At, at, you know, in 1973, uh, to be in the natural food business was, was definitely pioneering. And um, other businesses I was involved in, I had a gourmet housewares business that also people were just understanding what gourmet and high quality food was. Um, before that, it was, you know, canned spaghetti, and that was pretty much your diet. And then America woke up to um, international cuisine, and I was able to be in the housewares business selling the accoutrements for, you know, for that burgeoning um, interest in, in high quality foods. And uh, you referred to the Italian restaurant, um, which was post uh, Noah's, which which we had a nice four year run and we almost made money, we <laughs> almost made money, but 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 not quite. But actually, the thing that I'm most proud of, Zeb, was uh, being a founding president of the Jewish Community High School of the Bay. Uh, we um, had very little still have, unfortunately, very little in the way of. Jewish education, um, and I was able again through a through a large team effort uh, to get a community high school uh, organized out here, where we have everything from um, Orthodox to unaffiliated um, kids all in the same school and all getting a high quality education at their own level. And so I'm very proud. We've been been there over 20 years, and we're still going strong. A major accomplishment. Maybe you should have had the Italian restaurant in the in the school. That would have been a good idea, Zeb. I hadn't talked to you before that. <laughs> if I had, it would have been there. Now, is it more difficult? Obviously, you know, you're kosher. And was it more difficult to have a successful kosher restaurant? Is that what made it almost successful, but you didn't quite make it? The Italian one? Yeah, the Italian one, yes. Uh, you know, I think that was more, frankly, uh, lack of uh, enough kosher diners out here. I just say say it like it is. 
Okay, but you say you almost made it, so it seems like there were the ingredients were there, but somehow you just missed well, the was, mark. I was I was being facetious. I mean, we we treaded water. We had our moments, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it just wasn't a viable concern. Unfortunately, the food was great, the service was great, but uh, again, uh, there are so many restaurant options out here for the general community. Um, and, and without a, you know, an incredibly strong, uh, support from the, the, the kosher diners, um, there's just, there's just too many options for, um, you know, to, to, uh, uh, for, for any, most restaurants to succeed. I mean, 90% of them fail. So, you know, well, restaurants we are very, it's we a very tough, a very tough business, especially today very during tough. COVID, very yeah. tough. And a, Absolutely. and a kosher one would probably be even tougher than a general one. Yeah, of course it was. You know, there was all kinds of uh, nuances to running a kosher operation that, that made it that made it complicated. Um, uh, but uh, it was a great place for anybody who of your audience that would have happened to have been out this way. Um, we had a lot of visitors, by the way, uh, you know, from other areas that would come to our restaurant. And I always enjoyed meeting with them uh, who, who appreciated it tremendously right but i guess it's a special market now yeah. were all your ventures kosher ventures the bagels kosher the other ones kosher the bagels were kosher the uh the italian was kosher uh the others were you know natural foods so uh i wasn't kosher myself at that time i, I it's been a long journey for me um, but, but, uh, um, and then the housewares, of course, were housewares. So, uh, th there was one, however, that I failed to mention it probably, probably was intentional, although subconscious was I had a gifts from the Holy land business, which, um, hard to believe, but this was gifts for born again, Christians, um, of, uh, products made in Israel, handicraft product made in Israel. I had read at the time that, uh, excuse me, uh, during, during Ronald Reagan's era, that one-third of Americans had, bore, had uh, admitted to a born-again Christian conversion. So I'm like, oh, my goodness, there's a business for Israeli products to these people, um, get special gifts from the Holy Land. And uh, it was a great idea and concept, but it was a total and utter failure. Uh, so that was one of the ones I struck out on. Um, but my goal was to aid and support the state of Israel, having just come back there uh, and been very, very excited about Israel, about Judaism. And it was really a, the beginning of my, you know, my, ch uh, my uh, tshuva uh, that uh, uh, resulted in that business. But unfortunately, it wasn't made to be. Is it, was it ahead of its time? Because today you have a lot of Christians that are very supportive of Israel, buying Israel. Look at a group like the International Fellowship of Christian and Jews. They raise a majority yeah. of money from Christians to, to Israel. Yeah, you know, I was involved with those groups while I was, while I was doing this. What, no, I think that the problem was that Israel is so special and central to, uh, to us, to, to Jews, uh, but for the Christian market, you know, the land, the whole thing, it was it was relatively uh, un unimportant relative to the 
the, the main the main character in their <laughs> you know the nice Jewish boy who they believe in, um, and and so and I wasn't I wasn't hitting them right uh, my my uh, my catalog at the time uh, I like to say was guaranteed to offend every brand, branch of uh, Christianity because I had holy water which only the Catholics liked and everybody else it was a turnoff and you know you go right down the line. I didn't understand my market either. I didn't understand that I couldn't do this from the outside. It needed to be Pastor Johnson or something, you know, selling this stuff, not some, you know, pseudo-Christian like me. Um, so it was a mishigas, let's just put it that way. Um, <laughs> a, good a good attempt, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it was, it was fakakt. In other words, to have a successful business is more than just a good idea. You got to do your market research. You got to oh, figure. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think the good idea thing is maybe thirty percent of it, and the execution and the whole rest of it is is the the other seventy. Our guest has uh, has made uh, millions. He's lost some, but he's made some. On the whole, on the whole, you've, you've done pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I've done pretty well. I, you know, thank God. Uh, I, I must say that there's a, you know, an interesting backstory, Zeb, which I'll, which I'll take briefly sure. regarding the bagels that I, that I really think at the end of the day was the reason that it made it was the idea originally was my brother's. He had seen a bagel place in Montreal. He said, you ought to do this in Berkeley. My comment was, if it was so great, why don't you do it? He was looking for something at the time. No, you should do it. You're the br younger brother. You should get up at five o'clock in the morning and go and make the bagels. So, <laughs> uh, so, so, uh, you know, you always listen to your older brother, right? So I looked into it. I spent a year researching, talking to Murray Lender, a million other people, decide to do it. And it, it, the first store was amazingly successful. Uh, a year later, guess who comes knocking at the door? The older brother who in his Stanford Business School erudite kind of way, after 20 minutes, I figured out he wanted in in the business. Um, so um, my mother said, you need to bring Danny into the business because I was debating who's going to be the boss and so forth. So I finally decided, OK, you know, I couldn't, uh, you know, go against my mother. So I brought him in. And the truth is, he had a big business sense of how to do this. I was, uh, you know, I would have been three stores. I would still be schlocking bagels as we speak. But he had the concept of how to make this thing big um, and that perspective. And so, but he didn't have the marketing. He didn't have the, you know, the obsession with quality um, and all the stuff I had. So it really was a good shidduch in, in the sense that, uh, you know, he had the big picture. I had the... Uh, uh, the, the, the attention to detail, uh, and together uh, we built this 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 huge enterprise. But uh, had he not come along, I don't think it, I don't think it would have happened, and I probably would not be on the air with you tonight. Would he have had you got him involved in the kosher restaurant? Would it have made a difference? <laughs> I, <laughs> oh, I'd like I'd like to think so. We tried everything in the world to make make it happen because. The, the, we, we, we had a great product, and the people that loved it, I mean, they loved it. We, we really had a very loyal following. And my wife, Hope, 
was an amazing catering manager. She was she she served that function, and we had uh, we did weddings and we did all kinds of stuff beyond the restaurant itself in the area. But it was look, we were in an expensive high rent location, which was a mistake. There was a few mistakes, um, but I think that that. Uh, the bottom line was just kosher restaurants out here have had a history of of failure. Um, it's just a it's a crazy community out here. It's uh, there's a heck of a lot of Jews, um, but not a lot of Jews who are uh, are interested in you know in kosher. Even kosher. Our yeah. guest Noah Alper. He started a bagel business from scratch, made a lot of dough, a hundred million dollars, and. Uh, he has written a book called Business Mentioned. Today he's doing business consulting, helping people using his acumen to help them make money. When we come back, we continue our conversation. Talkline Radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the TalkLine network and TalkLine's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at TalkLineNetwork.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. You're listening to Talkline with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. You're listening to Talkline with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And we're back. And Noah Alper is with us. He started the iconic Noah's Bagels brand in less than seven years. He sold it for $100 million. He's currently helping other business people. He also wrote a book called Business Mensch. And there certainly is a mensch. And uh, I'm curious to know, how did you get involved becoming, you said you, you were not observant, you became huh. religious. What was it that made you, well, usually, was it the success of a of $100 million, or was it something <laughs> else that made you religious? Uh, no, it was, a, it's a Sipororoch, it's a long story. Um, but, but fundamentally, um, Asha Torah picked me up at the Western Wall, in 1984, and uh, through the the uh, guidance and uh, patient tutelage of our local Chabad rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda Ferris, and a, a long road um, afterwards, um, that I became religious. But uh, it was really that trip to Israel and that and that experience at the Western Wall uh, that started the whole thing out. Terrific. Now, you're helping people with business. So what advice, people listening to you tonight, what advice can you give somebody who's either in business, starting a business, especially because of COVID, which makes running any business more challenging? Well, first of all, I would be uh, remiss to say just contact me. I mean, I am a marketer, so I have to self-promote here. Um, but uh, but uh, uh, look, it's a tough if, time. If they call you, they get a free bagel? They get, yeah, they get a, <laughs> right. Uh, look, it's a very tough time out there. Um, and, and, 
I, I, I don't know what to say in a couple of words, except for um, even on the other side of this, not, not only we're sitting in the middle of it, it's going to be a different world uh, business-wise and, and every otherwise. And, and I think it's very important that people understand that and they be ready to pivot um, their businesses in directions that they had previously not thought of and were not necessarily comfortable with. Um, but uh, things that they're going to need to do now. For example? Um, uh, for example, like everything's going to be delivered. You know, the idea of people coming to places is um, uh, going to be, a, you know, a paradigm shift. Uh, small businesses are going to have to, you know, try to compete with uh, uh, Amazon and these enormous enterprises, and they're going, going to have to be, very savvy on social media and, and really, really get that totally tuned up, um, you know, to, to be able to compete and uh, think of creative, innovative products, um, things that uh, aren't necessarily out there now, um, but that would be, you know, appropriate for, uh, for, for the, you know, the time coming forward. Now, you mentioned that, of course, online has shifted and, during COVID, the big companies got a big advantage. Walmart right. and, and Amazon certainly got bigger right. and bigger. But right. I've read, and maybe I'd like to get your impetus, that, yes, people like shopping online, but after being cooped up for X amount of months or a year, people right. are going to look crave for the human touch. There may be an explosion. People want to go to a local store to buy. Well, I think there will be. Uh, you know, I think that's a very accurate representation of where things are going. Um, but there's, first of all, there's a long time between now and then. I mean, as much as we want this, you know, I, hearing you're advertising for COVID shots, and that's great. But, I mean, this isn't going to clear up right away. Um, so there's a, there's a long interim time. And even when, when that does open up, um, you know, everything in business is about percentages and about the margins. That, that's where you make it or you don't make it. In other words, what I was saying about our Ristorante Raphael, I mean, we were, we were, at the end, we basically just got to break, break even, okay? So if we had gotten, you know, 10% above that, we'd still be there. Um, but we didn't. So, it's, so, so even though people are going to go back and they're going to shop at stores, there's still the online purchasing has skyrocketed, and it's not going to fall back to nothing at all. It's going to remain very, very strong. Uh, a component. So that in and by itself is going to is going to shift, you know, the, the mix of, 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 of retail stores. What's going to be out there in the future is going to be a very uh, skewed and different mix than what we're looking at today. So what kind of stores can make it? If most will be online, what kind of store can make it? Well, I think, you know, to your point about people wanting to come and to socialize and to you know, meet and greet. In other words, I know that, for instance, we have family members in the in the book business, and they're they're finding that, believe it or not, these independent bookstores um, that were all but you know dead uh, years ago have come back uh, in the sense that people want to support them. Number one, and number two, that it's a it's a uh, you know, this is I, I'm talking about during the lull. You know, when we had a little, a little lull in this COVID situation, people were actually, you know, very much looking forward to shopping and being with other people. So that business had, had come back. But 
it, it, it had to do a lot of local marketing in order to say, you know, do you want us to be around? Do you want us to, you know, to, to, you want to come and enjoy us? You have to support us. And this is why and bringing in author readings and bringing in special things um, to, to make the experience. Everything's about the experience now exciting and fun enough that, uh, uh, you know, it, it's it, you'd rather do it than, than clicking, you know, taking a few clicks and buying something online. Now, a lot of people listening to us tonight own small businesses in places like Borough Park, Flatbush, mm-hmm. Queens, Lakewood, Muncie, etc. So mm-hmm. having a store, for example, if your Shomer shop is catering to a community, mm-hmm. could that withstand the allure of you would online? Think. You, you, you would think. You, you would think. But, uh, but I, you know, one thing, Zeb, that was, you know, I didn't mention it because, as, as, as I said, there's a lot of factors that, that resulted in the success of our bagel business. Um, but one thing was always looking backwards at competition, looking over our shoulders, seeing who was coming along uh, and who, was, who could overtake us and what could we be doing proactively to, to um, ensure that that didn't happen. So I, I would say that these, these stores and these communities you're talking about they, they can't just be doing what they're doing yesterday. They always have, they have to stay ahead of the game. They have to come up with new products. They have to come up with excitement. They have to spread the word through social media. It's, you know, yes, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a specific community, but it's not, you know, immune from the basic laws of business and the, and the basic, uh, uh, tenets of, uh, uh, how products get sold and, and the uh, competitive uh, set who's out there because who knows you, you're doing the same old same old and pretty soon someone else is opening you know three blocks away with uh, with a stepped up program and you know you're in trouble all of a sudden so what do you so what should somebody do because there's more competition out there how can they get their business more in order more in tune to get more customers and compete with the big boys? I, I, what I'm understanding is it's, you know, and again, I'm not so familiar with uh, social media use, you know, in Muncie. I mean, I don't, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know that specifically, but I, I, traditional advertising is, you know, in trouble. Let's put it that way. And and um, a lot, a lot, a lot is going online, and, and, and Facebook and Twitter and WhatsApp and Instagram, and especially amongst younger consumers. I mean, that's their pen and pe- pen, uh, pen and paper. Uh, you know, they they don't they, they don't know. You know, the old the old ways of doing things are are uh, are just that. And you you need you need to keep up with the with the the, the trends. And what's happening in the future, and what's what's likely to happen in the future? What kind of people? What kind of companies are you advising these days? You're spending time helping businesses. What kind of right? Uh, I'm doing I'm doing um, a lot of um, uh, I would say like like startups, businesses in and businesses in transition, um, and I'm also doing executive coaching. Um, so that would be, you know, individuals in companies who, um, uh, for one reason or another, need a bounce board, need someone with a lot of industry experience, 
and not necessarily in food, but food is my major um, focus. Um, so it's those two two things, you know, st- uh, or three really: startups, businesses in transition, and then executive coaching. So, no, Alper, if people want to get more information, want to get in touch with you, learn more about what you're doing. How can they do so? Noah Alper Consulting, all one word. dot com. Easy to remember, as easy as easy, bagels. E- easy to remember. By the way, you sold your company for $100 million to Einstein Bagels. Were they also a Jewish shame with a name like Einstein? I'm sorry? You sold your bagels, Noah's Bagels, to Einstein Bagels for $100 million. Was Einstein also a Jewish-oriented company? Because a name like Einstein, not Not, at all. Not at all. I'll tell you briefly, uh, when I I wound up working with them for a year after we sold the businesses, vice chairman of the board of uh, Einstein Noah Bagel Corp., which was what its name was. Um, it then, a long story, but it, it, it by itself um, went bankrupt and got picked up by another company altogether. Um, but in, in the meantime, I had occasion to ask their chief marketing officer how they came up with that name. Ours was, of course, named after me, right? Theirs, the guy was a former Burger King executive, and they did this whole computer search and they wanted something that sounded Jewish but was sounded intelligent because at the time bagels were competing with donuts okay so if you're intelligent and healthful you'd buy a bagel not a donut so this whole marketing analysis yada yada they came up with Einstein bagel only to find out that the Einstein family you know owned the rights to that name and they wound up having to pay something along the lines of, I don't remember what it was, but hundreds of thousands of dollars to Hebrew University to use that name. And I said to the guy, well, why didn't you just use something like Goldberg's? <laughs> Make it easy. Well, why couldn't you, why couldn't you use Noah's? To, you kept this. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I said that too. Well, you know, they, 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 the reason they didn't was that they were rolling up um, – local, regional bagel uh, brands all across the country. The best, the best uh, uh, bagel uh, operations in every city, you know, not every, but many cities in the country into one unified name. And by the, by the time they came around uh, the West Coast, uh, that brand had been very well developed in the rest of the country. So they didn't want to rock the boat. Do they do well with your with your company? Joseph uh, wants to know. Yeah, I think they probably. I, you know, I didn't follow it that much after after I left it, but uh, I, I think they're basically treading water. Uh, is what happened. Unfortunately, it's no longer kosher, um, which for us was was a big shanda. But you know what it is. Why would they keep and, the bagels kosher? It shouldn't cost that much to, for them to do. It uh, wasn't part of their concept. Uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, it just uh, wasn't what they wanted. They're real uh, chacham and they're real Einsteins, uh, I see. Right, 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 <laughs> right. So, you know, the, the, the ironic thing is that one store in Seattle is still kosher because the community was so strong then that beat on them and, and, uh, kept it and we tried around here and where it started and uh, we weren't successful. So, uh, you know, sometimes you get the chicken and sometimes you get the feathers.
you know, that's the way it goes. No, Alper, thank you for being with us. Look forward to having you back and continuous success with your consulting. And I'm glad you made a lot of dope and kept it kosher while you did thank so, you. so. Thank you so much, Seb. Nice speaking with you today. Nice speaking with you, too. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.